right. Well, uh, welcome to BSing with Sean K. I'm your host, Sean Neese. Uh, today, my guest is uh, Andrew K. He is uh, better known as Angry Aussie on YouTube. So uh, thanks for coming on. That's okay, and I'll do my first accent thing. Although it's a double S, we say it like it's a Z, Aussie. So that's one little difference between us culturally. <laughs> and uh, what can you tell us about yourself and the videos you make? Uh, I started making videos oh, a bit over nine years ago, which is a little bit disturbing to say out loud. <laughs> and uh, my my initial thoughts, I was going to try stand-up comedy, and I was using both my written blog and YouTube to try out material. But then it sort of rapidly became clear that uh, there was potential for a much bigger audience and more rewards on YouTube, so I concentrated on YouTube. I invented the character of Mr. Angry, the angry Aussie who frequently shouts and swears about things that don't necessarily always warrant an extremely angry response, but uh, give everyone a bit of catharsis. I do all the shouting and swearing, so you don't have to. <laughs> and uh, And you're still pursuing comedy... Uh, just as much, or is it more the focus is just the videos at this point? I know it's after a relatively short time, I abandoned the whole live comedy thing completely. I know a lot of stand-up comedians, and they work really hard, and if they got a room with 50 people, they'd regard that as a major success. Uh, and <laughs> with the audience that you can potentially get on YouTube, which for me over the years has been millions of people, uh, it's a, it just seemed like a better way to put all my energy into the online side of things. And I guess with a stand up, you have to break into like every scene in different areas. And with YouTube, I guess you can just reach everybody at once. Exactly. The, as I said, the stand-ups work so hard. They've got to find a room to actually do their setting. You know, you've got to start in the open mic things where you get five minutes, uh, do that until someone thinks you're good enough to give you a longer spot. Uh, and then, you know, you do like a 15-minute spot and you keep working that up till you can be a headliner. It's everything about it is really hard work and, you know, maybe – one percent of one percent of stand-up comedy guy, guys and girls get anything approaching a sizable audience. The rest slave away, and you know they, they, you know, you get a loyal sort of core of fans. Like with your stand-up comedian, if you've got a loyal core of fans, that's probably fifty to a hundred people. Um, whereas if you're even if you're a small YouTuber and you end up with a loyal core of fans, you know, that's usually a couple thousand people. So uh, in what ways have your videos changed from when you first started until now? Uh, my delivery is a lot more confident. I mean, like I've done literally thousands of talking to camera videos. Uh, so I, I recently went back and looked at some older videos and... Uh, even ones that are only three or four years old, I'll look at them and go, ah, oh, I thought that was really good at the time. If I had to redo that, it would look completely different. You know, my delivery style would be different. Uh, 
unlike a lot of people on YouTube, the majority of my videos I do in one take. Uh, I don't edit them. Uh, so I'm like sort of pre-prepared stream of consciousness. I'll make a few notes rather than have a complete script. Uh, but yeah, it's easy for me to see I'm just more confident and more direct. And that's just a question of uh, practice and repetition. And I guess uh, what I saw from uh, your earlier videos, uh, was it a bit more, uh, maybe more of a gimmick then and now it's more like it's still a gimmick, but there's more of just uh, you in it rather than it look like uh, the character, I guess. Yeah, definitely. In fact, when I first started, I used to wear a mask. I defined Mr. Angry with a mask. And that was partly to protect my day job. But after about, I think it was about 18 months, I got bored with that. And I thought, uh, if anyone in my day job wants to have a problem with it, to hell with them. And I, I, because I had one mask, then I would find, uh, other masks and I'd create different characters for them. Some of my long-term viewers keep asking me to go back and do that again. And I probably will at some point, but yeah, definitely it was much more of a gimmick. Uh, and it's much more my natural voice now. So would you say like you're using your comedy uh, to uh, reach people that might not listen to a certain view otherwise? Or? Yeah, I mean, a big part of trying to be entertaining while you're doing something politically motivated, which the overwhelming majority of my materials politically motivated, uh, is like commentary on current events and... There is that element of a sugar-coated pill. It's like, okay, I'm going to do something funny. I'm going to entertain you. I'm also trying to get you to understand the thing that's happening that's I think is important and it's worth you knowing about and probably getting angry about. And uh, what can you say about like uh, what life is like in Australia and how it's influenced some of your views? Uh life's like in Australia. I mean, uh, that's that's a good question. Trying to think uh, because I haven't lived anywhere else. I've visited other places, but I haven't lived there. Uh, there is a tradition in Australia of being fairly free speaking, uh, and part of that's grown up like you know we were colonial outcasts from the British Empire. So we love nothing more than getting up in the Poms faces. So there was that, uh, the Australian word is larrikin. Uh, if I was going to be an intellectual about it, I'd say that's like being an iconoclast. A larrikin's like a working class iconoclast, just literally just speaking truth to power. Uh, and I think most countries have a tradition of that. But Australia has its own flavor of, uh, you know, the, the little person speaking up to the, the powerful and, uh, saying, you know, hey, you don't own me. Uh, so there is that, uh, although it's a slightly overused thing in some circles, there's the Australian larrikin ideal. I think it's just like, yeah, I, you know, I might be nobody. I'm not, you know, I'm not in the government. I'm not rich. I'm not powerful but I can stand up and tell you exactly what I think of you. And I think that actually does drive a lot of what I do. 
And uh, I know you've talked a bit about uh, like the, pol the politics in Australia and a lot of your videos. Uh, what can you say about like uh, the political system in Australia and like what are some of the problems with it? Okay, uh, we have uh, Westminster style parliamentary democracy. Uh, particularly for Americans, that means explaining the big difference is we don't have a president. Uh, what we do, it's the equivalent, uh, we do have the two houses of parliament, the equivalent of Congress and Senate, uh, and the people who have the majority of seats in our equivalent of a Congress uh, form government, and the person elected by that party as their leader is the prime minister. Uh and that's the person who guides uh, the government's policy. Uh, they don't have the same powers as a president. Technically, we have a, a governor who is the appointee of the queen or the king when she dies, because uh, constitutionally, uh, the monarch is our head of state, and we have a representative called the governor general. Uh Although that's largely ceremonial, although a governor general did dismiss a government in 1975. That was fun. A democratically elected government got thrown out by someone elected by nobody. <laughs> I doubt that will ever happen again, but that was pretty notorious, the 1975 dismissal. But so we don't have a president. There's no figurehead you vote for. You vote for someone who supposedly represents your local area. If enough people vote for the same party across the country, they get a majority and they form government. Uh, as far as democracies go, I think that's one of the better uh, models. But like everywhere else, uh, there's the fear that they're not all that responsive when they get into power, uh, sometimes even to the people who voted for them. The It's just like, well, you know, we've got a majority. You can't do anything. And you've got to wait to the next election uh, to have a chance to change anything. Um, so the swings and roundabouts, I think my understanding of the American system, the checks and balances is more formalized, you know, three strains of government, executive, legislative and judicial. We don't really have an executive wing. Like I said, the governor general's there, but doesn't really get involved in politics. So there is really just our parliament. Uh, of course, judges uh, can pass laws as well. That's what judges do. Uh, we have a high court as well. It's not treated the same. It's very different. The whole uh, two Australians, I think Americans sometimes see obsessed with their idea of democracy, uh, uh Someone being appointed to the high court here is not a huge drawn out public process like the Supreme Court in the US. They have basically the same power, uh, but it's not a huge drawn out thing with all the votes. So those appointments happen with much less drama in Australia. Yeah, from a certain point of view, that means less oversight. But I think from another point of view, that's a bit more efficient as well. So, like, uh, are there politicians you say uh, you support there, or maybe politicians that are like, a little more <laughs> I, corrupt? Um, the the yeah. ones there are ones I'm opposed to. It's easier to define who I'm actively opposed to. Uh, 
by, again, by US standards, I'm a raving loony lefty socialist commie bastard. Uh, not in, in Australia, that puts me somewhere in the middle. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I, our conservative party is a coalition of two major parties, one called the Liberal Party with a capital L, which again confuses Americans that the liberals are the conservatives. Uh, and they're aligned with a slightly more conservative partner that represents rural areas called the National Party. They're in government at the moment. They're the guys that I don't like most. Uh, the supposed uh, progressive alternatives called the Labour Party, I don't actively support them, but I don't actively oppose them to the degree I do the conservatives uh, as well. Uh, some of the minor parties are getting more of a sway here. Again, I don't actively endorse any of the minor parties. Uh, the Greens are making inroads. Um, uh, I have friends who work in the Australian Sex Party. I'd probably support them uh, before uh, I did. They're very, they're, they're very strong libertarian leanings. Uh, and I feel like I want to rush in here and say I'm not a libertarian. And that's mostly because how I see the, uh, the libertarian brand being tainted, uh, by the really loud, uh, particularly American voices, but in Australia as well, uh, people who are just really archly conservative, uh, using libertarian feels like uh, a shield to say, I don't want to pay taxes, so I'm going to be a libertarian. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm easier to define, uh, in who I don't support rather than who I do, because I don't actively support or campaign for any political party, but I'm pretty definite in who I'm against. So uh, would you say uh, overall it's more progressive than other societies? Or? Uh, that's the thing. It's not an absolute thing. Uh, in general terms, uh, I think we're more relaxed and progressive but uh i feel like um it's policies in the u.s that republicans attack as being aggressively left-wing are the sort of policies our conservative party would put in place uh but at the same token we have i i think we're generally more relaxed and there is less conservatism but then we have a, a censorship policy that mortifies a lot of americans like uh films books uh computer games particularly will just be outright banned they'll just say that's not legal in australia uh they'll say i don't care that you're an adult you can't watch that you can't read that you can't play that game uh so there are those anomalies as well. Uh, so, yeah, broadly, I think we are a less conservative country than the U.S., but there are those little anomalies in there as well. And how does it uh, compare to other places you've traveled? I not traveled that widely. The U.S., uh, the U.K., some of Asia. Um, I find, and from people I know in other countries, I find it's easier to live here than what I've experienced anywhere else. And also from a lot of the stories people have told me, uh, I certainly don't want to live anywhere else. Put it that way. I think, uh, the vibe I've got is this is one of the more relaxed places in the world to live. 
I think we've got a better balance of climate, opportunity, freedom, and uh, structured society uh, that that works for me. It's not going to work for everyone, uh, but when I've looked around and from talking to people, uh, I don't want to live anywhere else. I want to live here. So uh, I, I know uh, in a lot of your videos you've branded in uh, groups like uh, MRAs and uh, neo-Nazis. Uh, how, how did you first uh, start encountering these groups? Was it mostly online or...? No, I mean, I was, my student days in the deep dark past before the internet, uh, I was a left-wing student and that was when I probably first got engaged in campaigns against racists, against, uh, you know, the patriarchy. Uh, and I just noticed they are very loud and vocal online. I think the internet's greatest strength is also its greatest weakness. And its greatest strength is you're never alone. No matter who you are, no matter how isolated you feel, no matter how much you feel you're different to everyone around you, you'll find someone like you, someone you can empathize with. Sad fact is, if you're a Nazi who believes that giants live in a secret valley beyond the mountains and the world's run by lizard people who live in a subterranean network, you will find someone who agrees with you. Uh, so I, I think the more extreme elements get really emboldened because they all connect. And to be honest, I've also found they're a lot of fun to tweak. Uh, they react. If you go at them, they really react, which I find really humorous that they don't seem to get. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to provoke them. I'm trying to get up their nose. And I'm also trying to give people a voice who don't want to put themselves out there or maybe aren't that good at articulating what they feel. So look, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll vent all my frustrations. I'll give you the catharsis of, yeah, that's, I feel frustrated by that too. And I, <laughs> I give that cathartic release. So because those groups, the various right wing groups, the extremists, uh, they're so common online. I just feel quite motivated to speak out against them. It makes me feel better and uh, hopefully makes a few other people feel better as well. And uh, have you ever uh, felt like you've changed any of their minds or maybe made them rethink their views? Or? Uh, I think I've been contacted by a few people, particularly reformed racists, because I do think that's one of the most stupid, widespread uh behaviors of that type of racism and that's one you can wake up from and go oh oh yeah wow that was bad wasn't it when i started saying those people were awful just because they look different to me that i actually didn't judge them and i have been particularly younger people younger people get influenced very easily and they've listened first they listened because i was entertaining I was shouting and swearing and for fun. And then with a bit of messages, some of them have said, well, you made me think a bit more. Uh, and yeah, so I guess if I was being honest, that's not really my motivation. I'm not going, I'm going to make you see the light. You'll be, you think I'm more expressing my anger and giving people who share that anger, uh, someone to vent on their behalf. But if I raise some points 
And because I try to give reading material as well when I do it, I put links uh, with my video saying, look, go off and read this. This is what's happening. Uh, if that if that happens, if somebody sees, okay, maybe I went too far in that, maybe what I'm doing is wrong here, uh, then, yeah, of course I feel good about that. And uh, what was it like uh, putting yourself out there at first, like knowing you'd be dealing with uh, people like this or just, you know, trolls in general? It was really interesting um, uh, and not completely without worry. I mean, the first time I found out they were discussing me on the Stormfront Messages board, which is the biggest neo-Nazi group online, that was a little disconcerting because I'd been around some of the people who influenced those guys in the 80s, big guys with shaved heads and big boots, not people you want coming after you. Um, nothing's ever happened, mind you. So, you know, when they come out of, honestly, when they come out of the woodwork, I feel vindicated. I feel like I've said the right thing, uh, whether that's the bigots, the racists, uh, the MRAs or whatever. I, I feel like I'm vindicated when they come out. But, uh, yeah, these days it's a bit of a laugh, but the big eye opener for me, was oh, it was years ago. I did uh, a music video for a friend's song, and I got a bunch of my internet friends to lip sync various bits. And prominently featured was a uh, really attractive uh, uh, Filipina who lived in Sydney. So uh, the day that video went up, and she was in it a lot this endless barrage of sexist and racist comments came up. And I sort of knew in the abstract, that's what women put up with every day. That's what non-white people put up with every day. But to actually see it and see it roll in, uh, I almost took the video down. I said to my friend, I, this was not to get abuse directed at you. I'm feeling like taking it down. And she said, oh, don't bother. That's what I get every day so anytime i do get abuse and occasionally i'll attract a particular lightning rod and i'll you know i might get swarmed by a couple hundred or more of them and it'll take a week or two to die down i'm just philosophical and think ah well that is a tiny taste of what uh non-white males get every single day just for daring to exist uh on the internet so while, you know, they really go you sometimes, I'm pretty philosophical about it because I have it yeah, fairly easy. Yeah, and I, and I know uh, a lot of times when women give their views on uh, YouTube, they get like rape threats too and everything. Oh, yeah. Or even not even give their views, just actually exist. That is the biggest one uh, because like this one was just lip lip syncing she wasn't doing anything she just existed she appeared in the video and it was all these sexually abusive sexually threatening comments and and because she wasn't caucasian uh there were racist ones as well and it was like okay i knew in the abstract that's what happened to women all the time particularly uh women of color and men of color for that matter too uh but just actually seeing it firsthand is like oh Okay, yeah, that's what they're like. All right, that's good. So uh, did you think you'd still be making these videos this many years later? Or? 
No, no, no. It's the almost every time I do an anniversary video, I say like, and for this, I just did one. Nine years and two thousand videos happened at about the same time, and I said if I went back in time and said to myself, "Okay, so you're about to switch on a camera and make your first YouTube video." I decree you shall keep doing this for nine years, and in that time, put up two thousand pieces of content. I would freak out and go, "That's not possible. I'm not going to do that. That's too much work. I'm not going to." So, in retrospect, I'm amazed I've stuck it at this long. But the reason I've stuck it at this long is I really like doing it. But as a plan, if I tried to set that as a plan, that would have seemed completely unrealistic to me. And uh. What can you say about like the work that、uh, goes into it, and is it、uh, sometimes hard to come up with、uh, ideas for new content?、Uh, it is a challenge to keep coming up with new content.、Um, like I was saying before about my original thought of wanting to be a stand-up comedian, they do the same material over and over and over to different audiences. On YouTube, you get to do the material once and it's gone. You've burnt that material; it's over. So you've got to come up with new material all the time. I kind of feel lucky that I've chosen politically themed stuff because politicians are so damn stupid; they will always come up with new material,、uh, and particularly the current federal government. Who is by far the worst I have seen in this country in my whole life? They just keep giving me new material, but there's certainly there's been a couple times over the years I've been doing YouTube. I freaked out. I thought I've run out of ideas. I'm done. There's nothing new. This is it. It's over. And that's just a momentary panic, and it passes, and I do something new. But、um, because I often hear from people trying to develop stuff, and they go, "I don't know what to do." And my biggest advice is you switch on the camera and you start talking, because、uh, the more you think about it, the less you're doing it.、Uh, my stuff, because it's not overly elaborate production-wise, most of the time、uh, I spend more time planning what I'm going to say. You know, reading news stories, making notes, deciding what to do, and then I just switch the camera off and do it. I do one take most of the time. Every now and then, I'll come up with an idea that I want to do differently and edit and make more complex, and so then that becomes you know hours more work in the shooting and editing phases.、Uh, if I was doing that all the time, I'd produce a lot less content, I think,、uh, because simply of the amount of hours I'd have to put in. So my style of doing stuff in a single take means I can put most of my effort into the content creation and coming up with something that I hope's engaging.、Uh, because my style of just doing it one take straight to camera、uh, means the actual execution is quite quick.、Uh, then I just have to put the video on my computer, render it, and upload it. You know, which depending on everything's performance might take a couple of hours, but If I'm doing something more complex, then that all magnifies. So、uh, it's whichever way you choose, you've got to put in a fair bit of work.、Uh, but yeah, that's just the way it is. If you're going to produce stuff, you have to work at it. I guess、uh, if, you, if you're doing it、uh, in the moment in one take, I guess that kind of can add more to the 
the realness of it maybe and like it, it just captures that moment rather yeah than- and that's that's the style i've chosen to go with because the by far the most common style on youtube for my type of stuff is lots of rapid jump cuts uh that's become like it, from the early days that was like a youtube in-house style and i used to do it more i used to do more of the change the angle a bit and do another sentence and change the angle uh but over time i just started to prefer you know develop my own style which was predominantly one take or a very short number of edits in a video and deliver straight to camera and i think that does give my videos a whole different tone to a lot of others uh and i think yeah it is that sort of natural real feel uh that um makes my videos a bit different to a lot of others and uh overall what's been your experience uh your experience with the uh, youtube community is there uh, any other youtubers you enjoy watching or communicating with yeah i mean honestly every positive thing i've got out of youtube is because of other youtubers from the early days uh people who'd already had an audience who liked what i did who gave me a shout out to their audience and the two biggest in that area that helped me uh was one of my first youtube friends Corey williams at the channel smp films and also does vlogging now on dude like hella uh he was one of the the biggest people when i started who helped me uh and also michael buckley from the what the buck show in the relatively early days of youtube uh gave me a shout out, which was a huge boost to my audience. And more practically, I work with other YouTubers here where I live in Melbourne. We have a really active community of people who work together. And even just socially, we meet up. So we're not completely isolated, like sitting in a room with a camera and our computer. Uh, we get out and interact together. So uh, I think the community aspect is really important. It's virtually impossible to get anywhere on YouTube on your own. You do have to collaborate. You do have to have some sort of community that you can work with uh, and the cross-promotion that you get from uh, interacting with other people is uh, vital. So, And it also makes it more fun. That's The existence of a community of people is definitely one of the biggest reasons I've kept going on YouTube. And I guess, uh, would you say, like, you've been helping... Uh maybe other YouTubers too that aren't as known, like get a little more. I absolutely. I've done my best uh, to like, I've collaborated with dozens and dozens of people over the years. There's all manner of people on videos on my channel over the years. Uh, And, and just getting together with them and helping them with their projects. uh, I definitely do everything I can to help other people because I know everything I have uh, on YouTube, any positives I've got in the past have come because someone else helped me. So uh, I go out of my way to help others. And in case that makes me sound altruistic, that's also can be really self-serving in a positive way as well. If you help someone who's starting out and they, you know, hit it big, and hopefully they remember you when they're rich and famous, uh, that you helped them when they were starting. So I guess it works like any other form of media in a way. 
Like as far yeah. as networking, yeah. Although the biggest thing is the lack of a gatekeeper. Uh, you do see in traditional media, film, TV, music, people do work with the same people over and over because uh, it helped them. And when someone's rising, if someone gave them a break and they end up surpassing that person, you'll see them help that person when they're at the height of the career as well because they owe so much. Uh, but all those traditional media industries have gatekeepers that control what you can and can't do. And to a large extent, that doesn't exist with YouTube. So uh, that community has almost complete control over what happens, what gets produced. YouTube doesn't stop you producing particular things. YouTube doesn't stop you, uh, as long as you don't break their rules, doesn't stop you uploading particular things. Uh, and... Uh, so the community working together gets to dictate what happens to a large extent. And I guess uh, there being no gatekeeper is a double-edged sword in a way because it can, in some ways, like it can, new and uh, positive ideas uh, can get out. But also there's those groups you were talking about, like those hate groups and everything. Yeah, I mean, ab- absolutely. Uh, every, I think everything's a two-edged sword. Uh uh, I think strengths and weaknesses of a given situation just depend how you look at it. I mean, now, obviously, if someone goes on YouTube actively preaching uh, hate or violence, that video is almost certainly going to get taken down. But, um, yeah, there are people who make a lot of money by pandering, particularly on the MRA front. Uh, you can make a fortune if you have nothing that I would consider a soul and just want to pander to people who want to be told that they're right for being pricks. Uh, and yeah, and, and that's just how it is. Uh, occasionally, you know, people have approached me, oh, I've got a campaign to get this guy shut down. Will you back it? And I'll almost always say no. If the person's not actually specifically inciting violence, uh, I won't join a boycott campaign because it's like, you know, free speech, man. Uh, but it's like, if, if they're not actually inciting crime, if they're not exposing someone to danger, like if they're, if they're saying, you know, Mary Jane Smith, who's a dirty feminist, lives at this address, you should go visit her. Obviously, that's unacceptable. That's criminal. Uh, but if they're just saying, ooh, I hate feminists. Men should run everything. That's boring and stupid, but I'm not going to join a campaign to shut them down. They have a right to be uh, idiots, I guess. Yeah, you've got a right to be a jerk. <laughs> In fact, our attorney general famously said people have a right to be bigots. <laughs> it's like, okay, good on you, buddy. That's what I want my government to be saying. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, going back a bit to what we were saying uh, earlier, what, what do you think uh, could be done so like uh, YouTube eventually becomes uh, a more welcoming place, maybe uh, where uh, if minorities or women, like you were saying, uh, give their views, they won't be attacked as much? Uh, I, In their defense, I think YouTube and Google make a reasonable effort they could do more, but I think they do tend to listen. Uh, and they, they do have that problem of striking a balance between 
uh, freedom and being reasonable. Um, you know, they give you methods to report people if they go too far and that stuff does get reviewed by actual people. So it's, it's not flawless, but they work on it. And I think they go through phases of how responsive they are. Sometimes they're really responsive and engaged and they'll launch a campaign like, you know, the It Gets Better campaign or something. They'll promote something that's positive uh, and they'll take steps to shut down really destructive negative things. And other times, you know, it's, it feels like they're not listening and they're really unresponsive. But they're a huge company. Uh, I, I think consistency would be good. I think that is something that's lacking. Uh, like I said, sometimes they feel good and sometimes not so good. Uh, you know, when you're running a multi-billion dollar company, I guess sometimes you have other things on your mind. <laughs> but, um, yeah, some consistent feedback would be good because they've shown they can do it but they've also shown they don't do it consistently. And like I said, I can understand a lot of the pressures, the push and pull on that, but uh, on the times when it feels like they're not being responsive to something that feels important, that gets really frustrating. And uh, where do you see uh, YouTube going in the future? Do you think it's going to expand or will something else eventually replace it? <sighs> well, the world of technology, something always replaces it. You know, there were periods where... Uh, IBM was an unstoppable behemoth and, you know, they don't even exist in any real sense anymore. There was a time when Apple was going away and was not going to exist at all and they came back in a big way. You know, in the 90s, everyone was terrified of Microsoft because they thought if Microsoft moved in on your business, you were done. Microsoft still exists and still have billions of dollars, but no one thinks about them like that anymore. That's what people think about Google and Apple and Facebook now. If those and Twitter, if those guys move on an area that I was trying to work in, I'm dead. But they'll pass. I think because so many just pure video plays have tried to go up against YouTube and failed miserably. I don't think YouTube will be replaced by a pure video play. I think something that we can't necessarily see coming that's different will come along. I mean, Facebook is threatening in a different way at the moment with the way they're doing video on their site, uh, but they are quite frankly encouraging things that are straight up illegal in terms of copyright at the moment, which they can't keep doing. They'll end up getting sued into the ground. I'm amazed they haven't already. I do have a feeling that what replaces YouTube in people's consciousness will be some other sort of sharing platform that's probably not exclusively about video, which is why I think Facebook's making a bit of inroads. I don't think it will ultimately be Facebook because I honestly think Facebook's probably hit its peak and is declining. I think something that we can't see yet Uh and it might be tied into mobile. Uh, YouTube's poured a huge amount of money into mobile over the last couple of years. We've seen the growth. So I have a suspicion it might be something to do with mobile sharing that becomes dominant in the future. But uh, if I knew for sure, I'd probably invest some money and become a billionaire out of it. 
but I'm just guessing. And uh, do you see yourself expanding on other forms of media? Or? Uh, like I haven't seen anything that I wanted to put the same effort into yet. I mean, I have a Facebook presence. I have a Twitter presence. Uh, I'm thinking of toying with the new mobile live broadcast things they have now, Meerkat and um, the Twitter one, Periscope. Uh, there might be something in that. Uh, like I never really got into Vine, for instance. That was big for a lot of people, but I never got into it. Uh, Tumblr's big with a lot of people, which I never really got. Um, never really didn't, done anything on Tumblr. Uh, it's more a case of, yeah, if something comes up and it makes sense, uh, I would definitely explore it. Uh, because, yeah, I just think at some point, even though we can't see it yet, something will replace YouTube as the dominant platform because that is just what always happens. So uh, does it ever wear you out to, uh, like, yell so much in your videos? <laughs> uh, it's practice. See, I did theatre training. Uh, so you do it from the diaphragm. Uh, everyone jokes it must hurt my voice, and it usually doesn't. Possibly once or twice I've taken it too far and have had a sore throat afterwards. But it's all about uh, controlling and the shout comes from your diaphragm, not from your throat. <laughs> and uh, so what can you say about your other passions and hobbies and how do they relate to uh, what you do in your videos? Uh, <laughs> I have to say the videos are my dominant hobby and passion because <laughs> uh, they take up a lot of time and because there's a community around that as well. Uh, I hardly ever socialize with people who aren't my YouTube friends. We have a really strong community here in Melbourne. If I'm going to go out and have a few drinks or you know just have a barbecue or party or whatever, it's extremely likely it's going to be with my YouTube friends. I really, that sounds awful and sad. I have no friends outside of YouTube. I do. I just don't socialize with them very much. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't socialize with people I work with very much, uh, in my day job. Uh, my online friends, they're not all YouTube friends, but they're online friends. Those are the people that I socialize with most. So, most of what I do, because I've always liked writing, so I get to exercise my writing uh, brain in doing the YouTube things. That's not just one thing. Uh, YouTube's not one thing. YouTube is writing. It's performing. It's d the creative side of the editing and working with the computer. So it's really three or four hobbies in one. And then you take in the social aspect as well, which I, I know not everyone does, but I thoroughly recommend everyone does. Find people in your general area into YouTube because they're there everywhere in the world. They're there. They're everywhere. Uh, and it just makes it a lot more fun. So I don't have any other hobbies. <laughs> and have you had like uh, any experience with, with uh, like theater or acting or anything like that? Or? Yeah, uh, like I did a degree at university in theater, uh, which is where I get the urge to do these things, I suppose. Uh, and there was a period where I wanted to be an actor. And honestly, like a lot of the hyper-successful YouTubers, if I ever got hugely successful, 
And given the common thread in the really hugely successful YouTubers is young and sexy, the odds are probably against me. But, you know, I hold out hope uh, that if I ever got particularly well-known and other opportunities, particularly in the acting world, uh, opened up, I'd be really keen to explore them. Uh, so, uh, and that's the other thing about YouTube, providing those opportunities. Again, no gatekeeper. You get yourself out there, and if you get noticed, uh, anything can come from it. So uh, it could be a good way to make connections, not just uh, uh, for YouTube, but like for other other interests or whatever. Oh, yeah, it's certainly like uh, traditional media and marketers in Australia particularly don't seem to have a clue about YouTube. So when they find someone who understands it, who's inside it, they're really keen to talk to you. I found this a lot um, at, at like social media events when I sort of say I'm a YouTube expert. Everyone's really keen to talk to me because that's the area that most of them don't understand very well at all. So it definitely opens other doors. Uh, uh, and that's something I intend to explore a bit more actively in the future. And uh, you also have uh, a channel, Not So Angry Aussie, I think it's called. Uh, uh, Less Angry Aussie. Less Angry Aussie. Yeah, uh, which I haven't been posting on, I should. That was always meant to be for, like, the more personal, less shouty videos. Uh, I haven't been posting much on it lately. Uh, if I get back into uh, a rhythm, I might. Like, I'm... Hope I've applied for some funding to do uh, a web series later in the year. Uh, uh, if I get that funding, uh, I'll be working quite intensely for a couple months on this web series, and I will probably do like behind-the-scenes videos to put on the Less Angry Aussie channel uh, because the web series will go on my main channel. So I'll probably put behind the scenes stuff on the Less Angry Aussie channel. And uh, where would you one day like to be with everything you're doing? I would like to be still just doing the stuff on YouTube, but making enough for it to be a full-time job uh, and being able to pick and choose. Because at the moment, if someone offered me a deal like, hey, I want you to do this thing for a TV show or this thing for a movie or this you know, it would be hard to resist because I'm not making that much money off YouTube. I would like to be making the full-time living off YouTube. So if someone said, hey, I want you to do this thing, I'd feel comfortable picking and choosing and saying, well, I don't need your money. Uh, I've got everything I want on that front. So you actually have to give me something that's really compelling or I'm not interested. So I would definitely like to step one be making a full-time living off youtube but then using that to have the freedom to explore all sorts of other things yeah i'd love to make movies i'd love to do stuff on tv but i would really prefer it if youtube was the focus and uh what can you say about uh the full-time work you do is it anything like you enjoy in that realm or is it i, I don't know i'm an it contractor i'm a business analyst uh and, you know, I've been doing it for a while. So far as jobs go, I do enjoy it uh, because it gets to exercise my brain. I, I It uses my writing skills a lot. I'm writing business documentation rather than, you know, 
fiction or comedy, but it still exercises my brain and makes me think things through. Uh, I get to interact with a lot of people. As a contractor, I move around, so there's a lot of variety. Uh, so, and it pays fairly well. Anyone who knows about IT contracting knows it pays fairly well. So, uh, I'm not going to give that up in a hurry because I don't mind the work and it pays well. But yeah, in a perfect world, YouTube would be paying me well enough that I didn't have to keep doing that as a day job. And uh, do you have any advice for anyone else who might want to start making YouTube videos and putting themselves out there? Yep. Switch on the camera and start talking. Uh, this whole, oh, I don't know what I want to do. You go, well, if you really don't want know what you want to do, you've got nothing. Okay. Uh, you start, start copying your favorite person. That's the thing. It's a simple advice I'd give someone if they, if they feel like they want to do it, but they don't know what to do. Go, okay. Who's your favorite person on YouTube? The person who's inspiring you. Okay. Just copy them, blatantly copy them and keep doing it. That's the thing you've got to do. Keep doing it. When people say, oh, why aren't more people watching my videos? Go, well, if you haven't made at least, say, two videos a week for a year, you've got no right to complain because most big YouTubers labored in obscurity for a year or more before they got a break. So if you're not prepared to work for a year or more, with no significant reward, then it's not for you. So just get out and do it. Switch the camera on and start talking. And uh, any final thoughts or things you'd like to say? Uh, look, I think uh, the biggest thing I've learned, uh, we've already talked about really, is in any situation, the strongest point is also the worst point. So it's how you look at it. Uh, Take the positive, acknowledge that the negative's there, you know, even embrace it. And with YouTube and in online stuff particularly, it's about community. Uh, and having been on YouTube for nine years, I've seen the nature of the YouTube community change quite a bit. But when people say, oh, there's no community, I think they're the problem. Okay, so if you think there's no community or there's no positivity, you're the problem. It's that old joke about, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you meet a complete arsehole, ah, so what? You met an arsehole. But if you spend your whole day thinking every person you come across is an arsehole, you might actually be the problem. So uh, focus on the positive. The negative's always there. Don't ignore it. Acknowledge it. Know it's there. But embrace the positive uh, and find other people because, you know, I make jokes about other people are the source of all problems but other people are also the source of everything that's good as well. So just get out there. All right. Well, uh, I think that does it for this episode of uh, BSing with Sean K. Thanks again to uh, Angry Ozzy for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me, Sean. No problem. And uh, I should have more uh, episodes coming soon, so uh, stay tuned. <laughs>